welcome to another episode of Getting Off the Hamster Wheel, how to find a career that brings you joy, fulfillment, and success. My name is Karen Weeks, and for those of you who don't know me, my passion is helping people get unstuck from a career that's no longer fulfilling and find one that is, which by the way, also really re-energizes all areas of your life. And I should know because I'm also a career changer. I made the change from theater to HR 20 years ago, and it totally changed my life. Today, I'm talking with Duncan, who had a successful career as an engineer, but realized something was missing. So he went back to school for psychology and now works with businesses to help their teams with burnout, something that was more needed than he ever realized going into 2020. So let's tune in and hear his story. I am here with Duncan today. I am so excited to have him on the podcast. We met through different reasons of talking about just mental health in general, which we'll talk about shortly. And then I was like, wait a minute, he's our career changer. We need to talk to him. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, it'd be great if you could give our listeners sort of a quick intro of yourself. Yeah, thanks, Karen. Uh, and, uh, the story is interesting. Um, so officially, I'm the founder and executive director of the Burnout Clinic. So we uh, focus on mid-late stage interventions for uh, executives and leaders who are exhausted and frustrated and, and overworked in the workplace and struggling with burnout. Um, but the funny thing, and I think the interesting for the audience is before the burnout clinic, um, is I didn't really want to uh, actually do the clinic surprisingly. I was actually in career change, um, but not that type of career change. I actually ran a school in Ghana where we focused with uh, youth empowerment and education. Um, and the goal was to move people away from the typical view of going to the job and you know, asking the questions, how do you find your calling? So we actually did a lot of work around career calling, especially for social impact makers, um, or what we like to call like people who um, are there to really want to change the world uh, in their own way and, and find themselves doing that. So, I mean, just a really quick bit about myself. That's sort of my background and story. Just like your typical like um, Chinese sort of son or, 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 uh, or, you know, in that sort of lineage, you know, my family really wanted me to be a professional and, and be a doctor, lawyer, accountant mm-hmm. type thing. Um, and so my sister was the artist in the family, surprisingly, and, and sort of like that, I don't call it responsibility, but definitely like, oh, maybe Duncan will have a chance, you know, <laughs> and, and I was so fascinated with video games because I, I loved playing a, a genre called um, role-playing games. And mm-hmm. it was all about the hero's journey, right? Like the, the coming of age and, and really finding yourself and, and, and leveling up and, and finding those big bosses. And I sort of wanted to do the same. Um, but back in the day, there was no like video game design school. Mm. Uh, so I entered the world of, of engineering uh, and started off my career there. That's amazing. I love how something that you did as a hobby or just, you know, what you enjoy doing just in your day-to-day life, you thought I could help build these. I could help be a part of creating this for others. Um, And so when you went into engineering, did you try to get back into the video game space or did you go into a different area of engineering? I, so I focused on computer engineering. So I thought that would be really close to video game design mm-hmm. um and, and albeit it was far from the truth i mean like, <laughs> in year one it was like in month two i started realizing like i don't know i'm looking at this the syllabus i'm looking through the courses like i had looked through it before mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't there but you know it's one of those you know i think and a lot of people go through this right it's sort of like double down like you're in it already you might as well just finish it mm-hmm. some people might be a career some people might be a role or a position or a contract or something and so for me, I did the same thing. I mean, I, I doubled down and I came out and I was, I was kind of, I'll call it really lucky. From my lens, I was really lucky. Um, but the path getting there was very unlucky because um, at University of Toronto, we have a, there was like a really 
I'll call it a mandate, but definitely a part of that program was, uh, you know, suggested a lot of students go through a professional experience year, like mm. an, an internship or co-op. Um, and not everyone went through it because uh, our competitive school uh, called um, Waterloo, so they were really closely tied to Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> they loved co-op so much. They did it pretty much every, what, three months or six months, but it was really short periods where you just jumped in, in cycles. And what um, the University of Toronto did differently was they did a 16-year, a 16-month uh, internship. Wow. So, um, you know, that was, that was an interesting time because I had messed up my resume. I completely messed up my resume I was really drained from schooling. And what I didn't realize uh, was when I use a converter to convert my resume into a PDF to send off to the employers, because it was a free version, it chopped off, only kept the first page and it chopped oh, everything no. off. So I was really, really, really good at setting out cover letters. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> oh, no. And so they're like wondering why, like I was wondering why I wasn't getting uh, interviews. And I, I got a few. Like I, was, I, was, I was wondering why the heck I even got a few, right? Um, and so call it like uh, serendipity or synchronicity mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Um, it was uh, going into third year. I thought it was over. I was so desperate to the point where I was, like I was trying to make my own internship program, oh. like calling like friends and family and, you know, business owners to say, hey, you know, I want to just get out of school and, and spend some time understanding the industry. Um, and I was really fortunate. It was, uh, it was entering into the summer before the internship for my, mm -hmm. into, my for, into my fourth year. Um, and a company came around town. It was called Virgin Mobile. <laughs> um, so it's a Richard Branson company. It's a, it's a relatively large company, but unknown very unknown to to the canadian market oh wow and they were very disruptive you know richard brown has always been disruptive and they decided to come into canada to say let's shake things up like they always do we have like a, a minor oligopoly here in, in canada when it comes to telecom so mm -hmm. we're the second most expensive telecom in the world even though we're <laughs> like a developed country uh, so he wanted to shake things up and and i was so fortunate that was the last interview wow. and it was the first time and i had a I hate it. I love that. I think it's one of my best interviews, whether I do interviews with people or people do interviews with me, uh, because all we did was talk about boats. Um, hmm. we, we did the official formal interview in the first 15 minutes. And then I saw a painting of boats on the wall and I started to talk about boats. And what I had, what I didn't know was the, uh, the HR uh, person interviewing me was into competitive boat racing. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, I had so much rapport and, and, and what had happened was they, uh, it was, I was the last interview and they were like, you know what, there's something there. There's some magic that ties into the values of this company mm -hmm. that we couldn't find. We, we, went, we went down the engineering path because uh, in my role was kind of interesting where they were trying to hire an engineer as an experiment, cultural experiment to figure out if they can have someone navigate the uh, where the company was going. Hmm. And so, you know, half our partnership was with, uh, with Dell Canada, which is AT&T, I guess, equivalent mm -hmm. in, in the States. Um, and so it was the first time in my life where, you know, my hero's journey began, right? It, yeah. it went through, you know, really, I won't call it dark times, but definitely misaligned times. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, I was so excited inside. My heart was just, was on, it was exploded. I was so Aww. happy. It was one of those like moments of joy that, you know, I think in my life, uh, it was a very rare occasion. Not that I don't yeah. have it now, but it was very rare because I went from, you know, where am I going in my life to like, mm -hmm. I, th I think this is it. Um, and, and that's how, sort of how my career started. And, and I, I, 
I had the taste of, I guess today we'll call it modern day entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. But that was back in the day where MBAs were like the thing. Yeah. Um, like it was yeah. the only thing. It wasn't even the thing. It was yeah. the only <laughs> thing, right? When it comes to business. Um, and so I had a taste of really experiencing what, um, you know, I guess the Branson brand or this whole yeah. ideal of entrepreneurship at a big scale. Like it was, it was a $150 million startup. So you can imagine... Jeez. Uh, for a startup, it gets unheard. Now it's like startups are all these go through seed, you go through ventures, yeah. <laughs> series A, B, and C, or whatever it is. It's it's a really like agile approach. But back, it's a it's an industrial approach to to um, to startups, and it, it's sort of it was amazing. Let's put it that way. That was the beginning of my career. Oh, that is so cool. And, and I think I love the stories when someone kind of gives you a chance or something aligns you with that person on that day at that moment. And it's just so meant to be. Um, and I think it's encouraging for folks. Yes, it doesn't happen every time. And you know, it's, it's uh, you still have to work really hard at what you do, but for the folks that are on the other side of the table, the interviewers or the hiring managers or whatever, the decision makers, remember those moments exist. And sometimes it's okay to take a risk on someone. If you're feeling that, they're, will, they're the person to take a risk on. There's something in their background. There's something about their motivation. You know, give them a chance and either they'll prove you right or wrong, but at least you get to give them a chance. Yeah. So I was given a chance and, and I'm very grateful for that. So yeah. Yeah. thank you, so, uh, <laughs> my <Persian> friends. So. <laughs> thank you, Richard Branson. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much. Yeah. So you are you found your home at, at Virgin. Um, did you stay there a long time? Did you grow your career there? Because obviously that's not where you ended up as we are yeah. sitting here talking today. I spent nearly a decade there. So in wow. the beginning was an amazing hero's journey. And if, for those who aren't familiar with the hero's journey, um, it's it's sort of that template we use. To, like, it's a story template we use for all movies. Mm-hmm. Like a young, young hero growing up, going into sort of a call to adventure and then you know, fighting it, doing that leap of faith and fighting, all, you know, and, and, coming, and coming back home. So I'll give you my full story. And I think for, for those who are going through their career transitions, um, I think the natural cycle that uh, we, we all go through, we, we, it's kind of funny because when we're in job interviews, we're always asked these questions like, you know, what do you see yourself doing the, in, in the next five years? Like these like weird blanket statements yeah. that sometimes we don't really understand, but um, going through the psychology of it, there's actually a deeper meaning behind it. And, and generally in life, whether it's in our career, relationship, whatever area or path that we're going through, we have these really weird uh, five to seven year cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, naturally we have cycles as well, like in, in nature. You know, we have, mm-hmm. Right now we're entering into winter, right? So we have mm-hmm. seasons in, in the world and, and so do human beings as well. Um, and so when I entered in that season, the, the, the beginning of the journey, um, it was one of those I was so committed and it was so accidental because now looking back, um, I do it a lot more intentionally. But back then, I was so committed. I, I went into the office around 7 in the morning, and I would leave maybe 8, 9 p.m. Um, uh-huh. You know, the, the joke of the first one in there and the last one out. But I did it voluntarily. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't that um, I was forced to do that or as part of the culture. It was, I was just so in love with mm-hmm. what I was doing. And I was young. So we got to remember yeah. it. Not, <laughs> I'm not, a, not a plan of age card, but, you know, I, I'll put this way, as you, as, as people grow older, definitely there's more, what's the right word, uh, finesse to how, they, mm-hmm. how we spend our energy and time. But back then, it was just a ball of energy. So I can just like expend it at, at will. <laughs> so I spent like what, nearly almost 10 years there. Um, started with my internship. And um, an interesting story there was funny because 
Um, it was one of the first few companies that started off with this idea of everything is flat, be transparent, mm-hmm. we can see everybody, no more cubicles in a time where cubicles were the thing. It was the only thing, it wasn't yeah. even the thing. There was no future of work. There was no <laughs> idea of silos. Everything was McKinsey and Harvard Business Review and, 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 all, that, and all that jazz. And so they decided to go this low profile style. And, and what Richard Branson and his philosophy of business was, you know, um, obviously it's employees come first and they'll make your, 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 um, your customers happy and, and, and then the customers will make shareholders happy. Um, but sort of one of the one of the tactical approaches that uh, you know the, the the Virgin brand does that with is he wants the employees to be very close with mm-hmm. customers and you know we hear as an entrep- like entrepreneurship 101 I mean that's, that's sort of like where everyone is going especially if you're in a startup these days yeah. it's sort of like just general sort of information but back then there was no that was all just like pearls of wisdom put onto like these statements <laughs> on the wall like you know maybe it, maybe it'll, it'll, it'll kick off. And so I took it seriously. And so, um, you know, I, I think where most old traditional companies enjoyed was you have a seat by the window. Mm-hmm. So back then I wasn't by the window. My boss was by the window, but I was right beside him. So I was like, <laughs> hey, you have anywhere to go. And so I decided to take a, a very different approach. You know, I pulled the, the, literally pulled the table out of the wall type thing, type approach. And I moved our table into the call center. Um, mm-hmm. It was random. And, you know, because I was a young engineer and we just like, why, why not, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of, I was the intern as well, so why not? So I decided to literally push my table into the call center um, because that was uh, literally my ears were to where the customers would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would think this Virgin Mobile, you would think it's a it's a marketing company, this Virgin being Virgin. Uh, surprisingly, we're an IT company. We're very ten- our, like our technology was more than fifty percent of our employee base, if you put wow. it that way. But in terms of our actual what we did. Um, Mark, everybody else was a small team, but IT was very big because we were telecom at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was that if I kept my ears to the floor, that I would understand what the customers are going through. And we, one, aside from just uh, fixing problems, I mean, that was uh, sort of my biggest role. I think of it as I was the emergency room. Mm-hmm. I was a trauma center for, mm-hmm. for, for IT. Um, but I was also on the flip side, you know, before the idea of DevOps came out, Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of like the, can we learn anything while being at the front line in that space for IT, even, even though we were, you know, stopping the bleeding with the emergency room, but sort of sending signals back to the product teams mm-hmm. and back to um, what the customers are looking for so that we can give them another point of view. We didn't drive it, obviously, yeah. but we can give them another point of view to be like, you know, yes, customer care and client care can give a really great narrative. Um, but until you're really solving the problems and being a technology company, um, we can actually look at what products we want to create for our customers. Um, and, you know, and I would say that's what made us very successful. I mean, yeah. I mean, even though we were, quote unquote, the Virgin Group, nobody knew us. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my family was almost dishonored for me going in there because they thought I was working for some adult uh, adult industry company. They're like, you're an engineer, <laughs> and you work for some, like, you know, really, like, risque group oh, no. like no it's actually engineering no i'm not doing what you think you're doing um and so it wasn't until later where our ads are sprawl over toronto and yeah all Canada, they realized oh you're, you're actually selling phones okay <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> that is great well it's so funny because even though in the states um you know 
whatever Verizon and those companies are probably bigger because Richard Branson is such a brand within himself. Everybody knows what Virgin Mobile is or Virgin <laughs> Airlines or Virgin everything that he owns. So that is so funny. So your 10 years is a long time to spend with a company, especially your first job. I love that the internship led to that because I think it's such a great way to learn what it's actually like to do the job. But that's all. that's a lot of time. You can't keep that energy going forever. Um, so not to be, not to do too much of a pun because you now work for the burnout <laughs> clinic, but you know, did you hit a wall? Did you burn out? Like what made you make such a huge shift in your career? Yeah, so, so yeah, no pun intended. Actually it was burnout. Yeah. <laughs> but even before burnout, I mean, this, this is very relevant to today's age, you know, not just speaking out as a, you know, a champion around mental health and, mm-hmm. and, and overcoming burnout. Um, so what had happened was I fall, I fell into that. I won't call it the millennial trap, but I was, I'll call it more of a consciousness trap because I think it's unfair. Yeah being in the future workspace for quite a bit, um, but it's not an age thing. It's not mm-hmm. a, a millennial, you know, you know, that we're entitled or whatever it is. Um, is that you see it across all demographics. And the, the notion of it is, we're not just how are we going through those five to seven year cycles, but you have these, within those cycles, you have these glimpses, what we call awakening moments. Mm. You know, I, I think on, on, on popular culture right now, we call it, you know, being awoke. It's not like, yeah. it's not just being awoke. It's more like, deep down where you're going through so much um, uh, misalignment internally in your psychology and your mm-hmm. nervous system that what happens is we have, uh, you know, I guess more philosophers would call it the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. And so um, many of us are going through it right now because of the pandemic. You know, yeah. when it first started, it was confusing. It was a pattern interrupt. So we call that in our space as pattern interrupting. So you're, you're having a pattern interrupt. And I had a pattern interrupt because uh, my first, pa- my big and only pattern interrupt was we got bought out uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the culture was in theory supposed to stay, but you know, one of the signals that was sent off was a, the first person to go was a CEO. Uh, oh, of our yeah. company. So it's sort of like, okay, our leadership is gone, um, which is fair. Um, and the second thing that who was to leave was our HR. Um, mm-hmm. right? So you can imagine like, even though the, the new up and coming CEO, has an interim CEO, CEO said, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, absorbed in a way where everybody wins. I mean, everything sounds great on paper. Um, but, you know, the first signal for me was, well, when HR leaves, you, ha- you don't have an actual process to do that. So yeah. everything really is a wild west. Um, but, you know, obviously when it comes to, you know, big things like mergers and acquisitions, you know that, um, you know, there is a, a financial <clears throat> reason for that to happen. Yeah. And so, you know, for those who are actually going through it, one of the telltale uh, indicators is, you know, do you guys have the right skill sets uh, to manage? When they say, I want the culture to be intact because we believe your yeah. culture was a thing that brought, uh, you know, the, the, whether acquiring you, like the small company, is your, your culture is what got you to where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's a lot of it is, and it's unfortunate because it's not done purposefully. Uh, it's usually the best thing that we can do is keep is our skill sets because that's yeah. more tangible, right? You can, you can wrap, people can wrap their brains around it. So it becomes more of a talent war. Yeah. Um, and so for me, what was the challenge being the person around the hero's journey um, wasn't necessarily my own personal growth, even though uh, unconsciously it was, I was a mirror to myself, but I didn't have the emotional intelligence to uh, let go of people. Mm. So while I was, it was really fun to be entrepreneurial and build stuff. It was really confusing internally uh, to let go of things, including myself, what for me to let yeah. go of career transition. And, and I was very rebellious, let's put it that way. I mean, um, I, was put onto the, I was put onto a transition team and it was like very hush-hush back in the day, like mm-hmm. for the entire company, right? We just don't let the company know that that was going to happen. 
And I remember my first uh, meeting with all of the senior uh, vice presidents, execs, and all the senior leaders. Mm-hmm. My first slide, other than, you know, welcome to this transition. Yeah. <laughs> meeting, my second slide was actually a giant picture of the Titanic sinking. Oh. You can imagine my boss, like his heart just would drop. Like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> what the heck's going on? I, I thought this was, you know, I was a little more mature around that, but I actually went <laughs> off the, the ropes. Um, but what I was pointing wasn't the Titanic sinking. I was thinking, I was subconsciously saying, you know, in terms of a narrative was, you know, where we are, no matter what people say, it's over. Like, it's yeah. different. And we have yeah. to come to terms with that. And so even though the entire office saw the Titanic, what I was pointing to, I said, don't look at the Titanic because that's what everyone will feel like what's happening. Yeah. Look at those tiny boats mm. um, that are leaving. And everyone knows the story of Titanic. Um, and so that was sort of my, my, my rally call for, yeah. you know, for this transition, this, this whole this whole project we were doing. And so at the end of you call that story, um, I didn't stay. So uh, mm-hmm. they said, Duncan, you can, you can stay wherever you want to go. You can go. Um, and I had sort of that, you call it, sense of uh, nobility in me, you know, righteousness <laughs> in me. I was a little bit, you know, sharp around the edges. And I just decided to play the card that, you know, like the captain go, goes down with the ship. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I couldn't see myself. It was one of those realizations where, you know, so back in the day, there was no career coaches. I mean, there was mm-hmm. nothing of that sort. And the only thing that was close to that was, um, you know, if you can see yourself in that company for a while, because... That was still a time where, again, entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. Jumping three, four years wasn't a thing. Like, I was born in 83, so just in the beginning, end of millennials. Yeah. Um, so most people were very tenured. You know, it's all mm-hmm. about seniority and tenureship. And so I saw, you know, our, our, our vice president, senior vice president, and, and even potentially going to, like, chief information officer or CTO. I was like, well, I have to be there for 20, 30 years. And yeah. me being me, I can probably fast track that, knowing my personality. But could I see myself doing that uh, mm-hmm. for a long time? And I think uh, what was, I won't call it a rarity. I'll just call it like, you know, now it's almost kind of somewhat common. But back in the day for this notion of, you know, can I do something to actually do something meaningfully or, or purposefully mm-hmm. or, or make an impact? Um, I think at that time, most people would be like, you're nuts. Like you're crazy. It's one of those like, <laughs> like wow, you're going to go like eat, pray, love yourself, right? Just go off the backpack and, 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 and go on this self, like, your own personal salvation. It's one of those stories, right? Um, and that was my hero's journey. It was literally yeah. like, it was that, but I didn't want to do eat, pray, love. I didn't want to do that. And, and, and for me, having gone, going through that, I told myself, you know, I'm going to figure out. So I, I had my own mandate back then. And it's one of the secret sauces to the, the science behind how to get into this calling mode is having that like clear conviction to tell yourself there is something I want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's not as cliche as, you know, let's, let's you know, have a mission statement because even though, yes, it's an exercise towards that, it's the conviction behind it to tell yourself that there must be something greater than myself. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of people go through it, whether it's a near-death experience or whether you're in the hilltops of Machu Picchu or whether you're an astronaut for the first time looking down at the planet as a whole, there's always that big epiphany moment of, yeah. wow, there's something bigger than myself. And it's just really, do you have the courage and the resolve to follow through that? Yeah. For me, my resolve was I wanted to look at, you know, the hero's journey a lot deeper. You know, I wanted to take the patterns that I wanted to do designing video games, but instead of designing video games virtually as a computer engineer is, could I take that and map that towards human engineering to social mm-hmm. engineering, which I guess is, you know, on the bigger picture of engineering is what engineering is all about. 
uh, but really want to take a left brain approach uh, towards that and build a framework that, you know, was more, you know, at that time was in my, in the, in the, I guess, 2000s, I was more friendly towards that time and hopefully be, you know, you know, I won't go as far as a shepherd, but definitely my ego was there, right? Back in the day. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to be the one, the chosen one, right? I'm going to be the Neo in the matrix, right? To, to, to bring salvation to all my, all my people uh, type thing. So I, I left, uh, I left my corporate job mm-hmm. and I founded a nonprofit um, at that time called thinklife.org. And, and I, my heart is still there. And it was Phi. So think, uh, even though it sounds a little bit weird, was a combination of so phi is actually the Fibonacci sequence. It's the, the mathematics of life mm-hmm. um, combined with think was using the mind and how can we take a cognitive approach to looking at human development in that space. And mm. that's my new journey. I started my, my, new, journey, uh, my new journey and I guess what, uh, you know, for another decade, uh, what we call human flourishing. So that's what the space yeah. is called, it's called human flourishing. And I decided to stay there and, and, and do systems change work around that space. Well, and I think what's so um, fascinating about that is that sometimes life give you gives you those moments, right? Like a, a, an acquisition is often a time where people reflect, either the company makes that decision for you <laughs> or you have the opportunity to reflect and say, you know, yeah. what is this telling me? What do I want to do next? Maybe I now have a little bit of wiggle room where I can take the time to do that. But even if life isn't giving you those moments, I think it's important to every few years take a reflection of where am I in, where am I today? Am I happy? Am I still feeling the purpose of why I joined originally? Am I still feeling that excitement? Do I want to be the first one in and the last one out? And it's okay if that's not the case anymore, whether it's because something major has changed, like the culture or your manager or your whole team, or you've changed and you've evolved and something's different in your life. But I think if life doesn't give you that moment, I think you have to have this discipline to do that self-reflection every few years. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's when people feel like they're stuck is they just have been going through the motion and never have sort of taken a step back to look out over the mountainside to say, <laughs> am I still happy? <laughs> so happy. I mean, and it's a funny thing with burnout because burnout is actually, a lot of people might think burnout is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that we're going into we live a very burnout culture, a very Netflix binge, 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 more, more, more hyper growth, you know, you know, big companies, eating up smaller companies and, and that type of stuff. Um, but burnout is actually a natural effect. I mean, you know, aside from the clinical things, the clinical side of things where we help people intervene, um, you know, the, I think that the heart's in the right place, especially for HR. Um, mm-hmm. The World Health Organization sort of kind of pin burnout with workplace uh, with, with uh, unmanaged stress, but that's sort of not true because we see it in all areas of our life, especially going through the, the intervention side of things. Um, but what I do enjoy about burnout um, is they're all habits. So if you think about it, uh, you know, and, and much to your, to what you say is like, you know, if you do these little self-reflections, a burnout is sort of like the, the last tail end of it, right? Is, mm-hmm. um, and it's one of those few, and that's why it's one of those uh, conditions that aren't diagnosable. It's not in the DSM. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those weird gray areas. It's because burnout in definition is a metaphor. If you think about it, burnout is the, the flame inside's been extinguished. Um, we can't explain it. We can feel it, though. All of us have an intuitive grasp behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, when the body's giving the indicator of like, hey, something is diminishing, your life is diminishing, the oxygen within you is gone, and you're almost like, you feel like it's dwindling inside. Um, those are points for self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, and the end of the day, it's just self-reflection. It's just a matter of, uh, similar to, to the pandemic is most of us go through sort of this you know, I think day-to-day mass hypnosis, right? We just go in or we want to be comfortable. We live in this comfort zone. And yes, the entrepreneur is screaming out there saying, no, live outside your comfort zone. <laughs> um, but, you know, as much of it as it's a saying on a napkin, 
um, our unconscious mind behaves in very different ways, right? Mm -hmm. We like to be comfortable, right? Our ego likes to be comfortable, whether it's a healthy ego or an unhealthy <laughs> ego, right? Um, it's just how we operate, um, yeah. you know, and unless you condition yourself, you're an athlete or you're, you know, someone there that's, you know, you're in the military or something where you're always on the front lines fighting something. Uh, generally, you know, we're creatures for comfort, right? Yeah. And, and so um, it is really important, even on the prevention side. So when I go to burnout prevention is to have those check-ins, is have those mental um, and, and cognitive sort of uh, those journaling exercises or feedback to tell yourself like, hey, you know, am I aligned to purpose? Mm-hmm. Or if you're not even there, am, am I even working with purpose? I mean, that's usually the big epiphany. It could be a yes or a no. And it can be a very cognitive process. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be an emotional process. Um, but what emotions are interesting in is, and part of a lot of the work that I've been doing is uh, not just about the intuitive work, but helping the cognition side of it build neural pathways to the emotional centers so that you have the skill set, the, the sensitivity um, that you need to be able to answer uh, those questions a lot easier mm-hmm. um and i think the biggest challenge most people are going through right now is um that we a lot of us don't know are, are underdeveloped in that space and yeah. so we've always had um that sensitivity there but it's just been so numbed out um that when it does happen it's, it's a very scary thing yeah um and so that's why burnout's a very scary thing you know and it's not just burnouts the the things behind it right the anxiety the fatigue the exhaustion the cynicism you know, all the indicators behind burnout um, and, and, and creating those toxic environments for those around you. So that there is a very, that's why they call it an epidemic, right? It does mm-hmm. spread. Um, even though it's, it's you know, the, the stats are showing like, you know, 50 to 70% of people are going through some forms of burnout. Um, it's really those 5%, 10% that's going through late stages that are, or severe burnout. Yeah. Um, that's not just one uh, very hurtful for themselves, but all their family and friends and coworkers and, and everyone around them unfortunately have to bear the brunt behind that and sometimes and, and most of the time to be honest it can be very contagious um, in the way that um, because we're social creatures as well um, we need that support of those around us to keep us as self-regulated as possible and because yeah. your burnout is usually not the case i feel like it's a negative thing or people are embarrassed by it but going mm-hmm. back to your theme of the hero's journey Spider-Man has a moment where he has to, you know, rethink what he's doing and then mm-hmm. he thinks of Uncle Ben and he's like, yes, I can do this. Or, you know, whatever, pick your superhero, pick your, you know, you know, Frodo and the Hobbit, or I don't know, pick whoever you want. They all have this moment of like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And they have to do that self-reflection and they carry on or, or whatever happens within the story. But I think people are so afraid to admit I'm unhappy. This isn't working mm-hmm. for me. I'm burned out. I don't like this anymore. And that the only way to free yourself is to say it out loud and make the change and change work or work with someone like yourself to help them realize what they can be doing differently. Um, So I hope people feel that more after this year. Yeah, it could be a very empowering experience. I mean, going, which is interesting. And that's why if you were to go to Amazon and type, you know, how to get through burnout, the challenges with, with burnout, especially being a space that's not very, very well explored, let's call it that way. Um, is most books out there, you hear on the Amazon reviews, is it's usually someone that's gone through burnout and have go, has gone on the, on the other side. And mm-hmm. I think like if, you, if I was to play percentages, like parental principle, like 80% of most burnout work is generally around prevention. Mm-hmm. And it's because once you've gone through it, you sort of know what not to do. Um, and how you've gone through was a little bit of a fluke, but it's usually the same, like, you know, 
self-reflection, meditation, some sort of form of self-care and just really getting yourself back to self-regulation and listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, just really big picture. But the challenge of that is, um, I think for most literature out there now in burnout is when you're going through it, it's a very different story. Um, and, And for me, why I decided to go down the intervention route, not just do I have the tools for it, um, to help people um, clear all of that pain from the neurology. So we get a lot of really great, you know, I call it side effects, but I th- most people coming in call it mean effects. So it's mm-hmm. the anxiety is gone, the panic, but some people have phobias, traumas, like that's gone. So the underlying baggage, the underlying limiting beliefs and conditions and inner conflicts, once those are gone, then, you're, then you heal. At that point, you recover. Yeah. You, you begin to do your own self-reflection and work and you have the, the capacity to do so. I think that's mm-hmm. the big thing. And so I think the biggest challenge for most people and, and why, you know, having landed um, in the burnout clinic uh, versus, you know, running a school and doing career calling work um, was because um, I found that because of technology and because of our burnout culture and now because of the pandemic, more like you call it like, you know, not, not, it's not a positive thing, but definitely it's an interesting thing because I look at patterns. I always look at patterns. And so socially, as, as sort of a collective right now, we're all going through this really interesting time. But it's also a really interesting time to, you know, massively as a collective whole, uh, we're going through some sort of self-reflection, a collective reflection. Structures are changing. We're, we're, we're seeing money in a different way. We're seeing uh, work in a different mm-hmm. way, health in a very different way. And, and while this, and, and, and all those movements, we have a lot of movements in 2020. So we're seeing a lot of social unrest and, and injustice mm-hmm. and that, being action in a very different way as well. And so that is a call to adventure for many people. Um, so for a lot of people who are taking this time to self-reflect and taking the time to, to recognize like, hum, like I, I'm stuck at home, quote unquote, mm-hmm. stuck at home. Uh, and yes, you know, maybe work has increased because you know, we've gained time in, in, in a less travel time and, and, and more work <laughs> time and it's becoming more of a blur. Um, Yes, that's not, a, that's not a healthy thing. But what I do know from sustainability option is that's not sustainable. Yeah. And what happens is when those boundaries get blurred long enough, uh, we go into not just back to this re-mass hypnosis, but a confusion, a muddle kicks in. Yeah. And so I do know in 2021, and that's why from a clinical lens, which was kind of interesting, was my narrative shifted very quickly in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, unlike technology and those things that we're used to, um, it wasn't when I moved into mid late stage, uh, mid late uh, stages of burnout, we have indicators for that. And what happens when you're more severe locked in those habits and you're sort of almost eating yourself mm-hmm. inside is because of the pandemic, we'll, we're all leaning towards that myself included, by the way, even though I have the right, not just intervention processes, but prevention practices yeah. is that we're all going through mass uh, coping strategies. Um, and coping is coping. It's a, it's a thing for the short term, but it's not sustainable. And so in 2021, which you'll, and we're going to we're getting along the theme of just HR as a whole. And mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of career coaches will be getting those as well. Uh, if you ever, you know, move down that path is that, you know, when, when you don't want to cope anymore, yeah. like coping, like, what do you do yeah. when, when coping becomes life? Like that just becomes tough. Yes. Um, you know, it's not just about resilience and just cope better. There's no coping yeah. <laughs> better, uh, right? You know, just, just, it just doesn't work yeah. that way. And so even though we intellectually want it to work that way, our bodies won't. Yes. So whether on the emotional side of things or even on the physical side of things, uh, won't cope very well. And so what all of us are doing as, you know, you know, not just, you know, groups of people looking out for the well-being of general well-being of, of humanity, but 
mom and dad, teachers, yeah. you know, HR managers, whomever, people, people, right? We'll start having those inklings like I don't feel so well, but I got to figure that out for myself. Mm-hmm. But because I know everyone around me is feeling the same thing, it's going to be the most interesting time where one person figuring it out will lead to others figuring yeah. it out themselves. Yeah. Um, and we're going to see that in a, in a, in a collective movement. Um, that's sort of what I'm expecting for 2021 into 2022. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, on the, on the more grim side of things, it's sort of like the, the next human mass extinction, right? Yeah. It's not, I know that's not going to happen. Um, and so, you know, knowing that, you know, my hope, my, my optimism is that, you know, the res- resources are out there. It's a matter of, you know, for those who have the courage to go through that process and come out the other side, um, that they can share a lot of those principles yeah. and share a lot of that work themselves. And, you know, it's going to be a, it's not just a cognitive approach I'm going to take uh, with this moving forward. It's going to be a very relationship oriented mm-hmm. approach towards that. So, you know, from an optimistic side, I, I do feel that there is, um, uh, there is a lot of hope uh, going through the next two years yeah. and that coming out the other side, not just for the individual, but for the collective uh, we'll see some amazing things happen in the next five years. Yeah, and, and I'm so glad you said that because I do think it's so easy to recognize how tough it is right now. But that's actually why I started this podcast was in the worst of times early summer when people were losing their jobs on a rapid basis, instead of saying, oh my gosh, I just need to get a job doing something because I'm so scared. They saw it as an opportunity to reflect and say, you know, I didn't actually really like that job. Or I didn't really wasn't really happy in that industry. I'm going to take this time to figure out what I want to do instead, but I don't know how, I don't know anyone else that has. And I think to your point, as you learn that people have done it as well, as you meet people who have taken a step forward to get themselves into a healthier place, it helps you realize that you can do it as well. And so sharing these Mm. stories, I'm hoping that continues to inspire folks to say, if this person can do it, you can do it. If this person made this choice, you can do it. And so I agree with what you're saying is that I do think there's a lot of hope and I think it's just finding that community and finding that courage to to take those steps. So especially as you think about your own journey and helping people make those decisions and their own hero's journeys, what you shared a lot of advice along the way, but what's one thing that you hope someone takes away from this or one thing that you wish you knew along the way that would have helped you yeah. do it? Yeah. So I, I did a little bit of research around this as mm. well, because um, sort of similar in the same vein on the social impact side um, from a systems change lens, you know, I was sort of asked the question, there's one really simple thing, uh, Okram's razor, like that mm. one simple thing like that, that 5% that'll impact the 95% type thing, you know, what would it be? And it took me a while to really hum on that. And, I think what we have in literature right now in terms of the work that we do is values mm-hmm. um, and, and not just understanding your personal values because uh, that is, that is motivation on steroids yeah. because at the end of the day, when we look at values is that's what you're, I won't go as far as what you were born with. This is not a genetic type thing. It's more what you're imprinted mm-hmm. with. So as you're growing up as a child, that's it's when you're navigating the world unknown, call it that way. It, it was the tools that was given to you in terms of um, one, what does motivate you? And secondly, what it doesn't motivate yeah. you. So you, you know how we all go through that whole re- age of rebellion, right? <laughs> and so if you think about it, you know, through so not just child psychology, but we're actually rebelling against, we're testing, mm-hmm. we're field testing our own value system. And so, you know, we already have uh, embedded within us uh, the resources to tap into. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the next best thing is, well, how do we tap into that? That's sort of the, the real question, right? And um, and that's where, you know, Google it, yeah. Google if you have to, but go through a proper values exercise, go, uh, seek a coach, uh, seek someone that's um, sort of uh, uh, ex- have, has expertise in the space 
And once you design your personal values and what motivates you, and this comes down to, to not just empowerment, that's sort of where I, sort of flag I stand behind, or if I was an advocate or a champion, it's around empowerment, is once you understand your values, it's where it starts, mm-hmm. right? It's because now that you know what drives you, not just internally, because that's the most important thing and how that expresses externally, is the creative exercise of designing that. Mm-hmm. And I think where the, the quote unquote, the fear comes in uh, for a lot of people is, for a lot of people is they do an, a values type of exercise with self-reflection without really knowing that. Mm-hmm. And so if you do it explicitly, like knowing that what's important to me in the context of say career, um, is values lie in different areas of your life. Uh, and you start beginning to really flesh that down and have a more cognitive relationship with that. When you start communicating that with other people, whether it be your manager or your spouse or your parents or, or, or whatever it is, um, you're, you're associating what is sort of woo-woo in the emotional world, or, or you can call it emotional intelligence, you can call it that way. But motivation is interesting because without motivation, you're not going, you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and call it internal motivation or external motivation. So the challenge that a lot of companies are going through right now is um, you throw external motivation um, at people to get things done, but it's not very sustainable, yeah. especially in a more agile environment, especially we're all collectively going through this, you know, dark night of the soul is eventually we don't have enough external motivation, enough money or treats or ping pong tables or, <laughs> or whatever ready for people. Um, and so the secret sauce in the future of work that, and this is one of those questions, not just in the future of work, but in the future of education mm-hmm. that I was looking at was get the values down right first. Yeah. Um, whether is uh, have it learned explicitly when you're in high school, mm-hmm. right? Going into university, going to college, going to core selection or, or major selections, right? Going to career selection or, you know, now that it's, it's never too late, right? Yeah. It's always just ongoing yeah. thing is whether you're going to the next cycle of career, maybe, maybe you're going into your paternity or maternity mm-hmm. leave, whether you're coming out of a paternity leave, right? Or whether you're coming out of COVID or whether you're going through your next promotion or whether you're going into retirement, yeah. um, Understanding your values is never too late. And so once you understand that and you begin going into career design around that, you can have a, you can have a conversation around that because the biggest fear, and I won't call it, you know, courage is a lack of fear. The biggest fear literally is because we don't know how to express that when it comes to power dynamics, especially politics in the workplace, that you're not armed. Yeah. Um, you're not really armed and you're, you, you, that was challenging for most people at the unconscious level, forget the conscious level, the unconscious level is you begin to fight your own, you, you begin to defend your own identity. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst thing. Forget about being authentic, right? If you need to defend your identity, you're already in a fight or flight position. Yeah. And so what I do suggest for most people is get really, I, I won't go as far as well-educated, but just get very well, just get very clear on the process of finding your values. Yeah. So when you have a conversation with your manager, this is a time, right? Whether it's a coach, whether it's, you know, going through the clinic or whatever it is. Um, it's when you have that uh, person or, or, or knowledge or something behind you, you can have a conversation without needing to defend yourself to say, hey, I can appreciate what others might be saying towards me. But this exercise that I went through, like, I actually paid for yeah. it. Or I actually <laughs> went through it with an expert mm-hmm. uh, with somebody. So it's, it's, it's definitely, I would say, not saying it's not in your wheelhouse, but it's something that I... I put a lot of importance yeah. into getting clear with. And now that I know this, it's not that I don't want to do what you want me to do is I can do what you want me to do in my terms. Yeah. Yeah. And that's huge. And that's one that's not just empowering, but it takes, you know, this whole concept of we call it be, do, have, right? Like what most of have it is backwards, right? It's I want to have mm. something. So I want to have more money. I want to have a bigger house. I want to have more gadgets, the next iPhone. 
and then they start doing things, right? I got to work harder, work smarter, work this, be an entrepreneur, go out, <laughs> whatever, right? And they go into this whole like um, having and doing yeah. loop. And, and where the dark night of the soul comes in is usually you go through the loop so much that you, be, you feel unfulfilled mm-hmm. because what you're doing is you're missing that being piece. Yeah. And it's, it's really simple. I mean, it's not that I invented this. I mean, it's really simple language. Um, and so at that point, most people have this, I don't know who I am yeah. anymore, right? And yeah. what's my purpose? That's the whole meaning thing. It's just we, we have the, the, the cycle backwards. And to repolarize or to reorientate everyone um, to what, in my opinion, what I feel what human beings are meant to do from a, you know, how do we express our passion mm-hmm. and our natural gifts and our personality is you come with identity and being first, let go of the baggage. There's a lot of healing that we've got to do as, a, as not just individuals, but as a whole. And then once you have that being strong, you know that, and you know, not just know that from an intuitive sense, but you can relate that in a cognitive sense. You can tell people, hey, I've gone through these exercises. Yeah. It's not just me on the hilltops of Machu Picchu or Eat, Pray, Love <laughs> or, or I found the love of my life and they changed my world. Is no, actually going through those experience, experiences and those patterns and going through specific exercises, yeah. I'm very clear with who I am now. Yeah. And so the next step now, instead of, you know, now when you go into action and doing, uh, is you're, go, you're doing through, be, through your beingness, yeah. right? So it sounds a little bit like woo-woo or spiritual, but it's not that. You can call it in another, uh, if I was to reframe that, is you're behaving in ways that are uh, inclined or in line to your neurology. Yes. It's how your neurology is wired, right? And so you want to lean into that wiring, whether that's nature or nurture or both, mm-hmm. right? As best as possible. And as you're doing things, you can, uh, you can imagine how much energy uh, you're able to use without feeling that sense of burnout yeah. or fatigue or exhaustion, even though, by the way, that's not, that's not an excuse to say I can go on burnout. Yeah. Mode, right? <laughs> uh, that's why doctors and, and frontline workers have those challenges. Yeah. They're, they're on mission, they're on calling, but they're burnt out as well. Yeah. But it gives you those indicators to know at least I've gotten that down very well. And once you lean into those personalities, those natural gifts, those skill sets, like every, you know, going to anybody going into school or whatever it is, college, a technical trade or higher education, that's capability development. Yeah. At that point, instead of just developing a skill set that meh pays the bills, mm-hmm. is you're developing a skill set that lights you up and pays yeah. the bills, right? Because <laughs> at the end of the day, what pays the bills is just a, it's just a, it's a value. It's what a value you create. Um, and that just takes yeah. time, right? So uh, the good news about doing something that you're skilled at or, and, and that you're talented in is that your acceleration is massive. It's, it's intense. Yeah. And what's really beautiful as well is um, if you're going through a career transition, and even in my own experiences, you already have a lot of experience yeah. in a different area. The only thing you need is to map it. Yeah. Right? So once you map it to your talents and gifts, that, 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 that 10Xs, right? that, that's a 10X, 100X uh, type of return of investment in that way. And then start, land, and start realigning your career in that way. Um, whether that means getting a new career or or moving inside the company mm-hmm. and say, hey, why don't we go through a collective internal shift? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure I want to do something that somebody else doesn't want to do and yeah. vice versa <laughs> and move that way, right? Um, or maybe your intuition was right and, and what you're doing is actually aligned mm-hmm. to uh, you know, your natural talents and it's just mapping who you are to yeah. it. That's it. And then communicating that to your manager or your, your people manager to say, hey, you know, I have the skills behind this and and by the way, I don't want to t- teach you how to do your job, but why don't I teach you how to, for yourself, how to use me mm-hmm. in the best way, because who else knows me better than me, yeah. right? Yep. And so that's the best, um, what's the right word? 
that's the best realization of your own skill for yourself when you can teach others yes. how to navigate yourself. Uh, and I think that's one of a, a really cool gift to have. Well, and I think that's why I always love talking with you is because you ground all the ideas that people talk about into science and cognitive behavior and all the work that you've now learned for yourself and within your second career or your whatever, third career, um, because it really does resonate more with folks, I think, when there's science behind it, when there's actual, oh, I get this, like, this is why this is happening is because my body is telling me this or the biology behind it is telling my mental capacity literally is working this way. And that's why I'm feeling how I feel. Um, and so I always think that's so helpful for folks who are trying to piece all this together and have read the self-help books and all that stuff. It's like, no, I need to ground this a little bit more. So, so I always appreciate that perspective that you bring. Um, and thank you for sharing that final piece of advice as well. I could talk to you forever. Um, but we need to wrap up today. So thank you so much for sharing both your journey, but also the advice and your own learnings now that you've learned in your, in your role today and with the burnout clinic, we'll definitely have ways for people to reach out to you, uh, written up in the show notes. So thank you again for spending so much time with us and sharing your story today. You're welcome. And thank you, Karen, for having me on. Thank you again to Duncan for sharing his story. You can find all his contact information in the show notes to continue the conversation. As you enjoy these episodes, please consider subscribing, sharing them with others, and leaving a rating and review. And let's connect. How can I help you with your career change or transformation? You can find all my contact information in the podcast overview. And until next time, remember, there's always a way to get off the hamster wheel.